My text today is from Psalm 104, verses 27 to 30. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. The world on its own terms is full of repetition and the same old thing. The actors and the scenes shuffle around, but the scripts do not change. The same frustrations at work about your boss or your hours or how you are under-recognized or underpaid. The same arguments with your spouse about money or about in-laws or whatever it might be. The same patterns of procrastination or paralysis in certain areas. The same frustrations with judgmental parents or self-involved siblings or needy children. The same worries about the future, about what lies ahead. Year after year, we live for a future that never arrives. We tell ourselves when we finally have an income like that, then we'll be able to do all the things that we want. Or, I know I don't see that much of the kids now, but once this stressful period in my job ends, once I get that promotion, then I'll finally be able to relax and spend more time with them. Or, once I finally meet the right person, then my real life can begin at last. But the moment never really comes. The goalposts keep shifting quietly back, and we're returned again to the futurizing storyline, the same longing for a golden age that is always delayed. Our lives are full of repetition and the same old thing. Our passage today talks about God's Spirit renewing the face of the ground. What do you think of when you hear the word renewal? It's a word that basically just means making something new again. Perhaps you think of churches, dead old churches and denominations that are in need of spiritual renewal. Perhaps you think of relationships, when some of the initial passion in the relationship fades, when it can sometimes feel more like a pragmatic life partnership uh, than true love. You know, you pick up the kids, I'll pick up the groceries. Renewal is needed over and over again in relationships. And then, of course, there is renewal in our own connection with God, which for so many of us is no longer what it once was. Remember when the psalmist prays that wonderful prayer that is so easy to relate to, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. It is a prayer for renewal. In our own psalm today, we get a particular sense of the word renewal. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Here, the resonance of renewal has to do with the coming of spring after winter and of rain after a drought. It is about dead and unproductive land becoming fertile and lush once again. The metaphor is not subtle, and its range of application is wide. 
It can relate to any part of your life or your community or uh, your institutions that feels dead and lifeless or stuck in a rut. Who doesn't want their life to be creative and lush with life instead of dry and stuck? So my theme today is renewal, and I have three short points to make. But before I do that, let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that the Spirit of God can and will renew the fallow ground in your life? That there really is renewal to be had in the part of your existence that seems hopeless or deeply unfulfilled? Or, almost without realizing it, have you made a quiet little pact with despair? Just let the question sit with you as we go through the rest of the sermon. Has some part of you accepted that the repetitions are the fact of the matter, that they cannot and will not ever change? And so you put a brave face on it. You call it stoicism or realism or just accepting things as they are. But really what you are is stuck in despair and lacking in hope. So what do I mean by this kind of despair? I'm talking about the despair that that one child will never really find their way, not the way the others have. Despair that he will always keep making you feel like a disappointment. Despair that you will never really please her the way she wants. And that's the best you can hope for in the decades to come. Or despair about the state of the church. About how as the years grind on, there only seem to be two real victors in the spiritual landscape. First, the victory of shallow religion, sanitized of the uncomfortable parts, cheerfully and ignorant and anti-intellectual, naive about just how dark this world can be. That seems to be one victor a lot of the time. And the second is the victory of that great tide of sheer apathy and disbelief, the kind of unthought-through materialism that suffuses our world. I live day-to-day in an environment in my university where the majority of the people I spend time with are not religious and either know next to nothing about Christianity or are aggressively opposed to it, or both. There's a temptation in this context to see oneself as a sort of tragic hero, quietly fighting a long defeat in the face of overwhelming opposition. And this, too, is a pact with despair. What we need in our repetitions and our quiet despairs is renewal. Who doesn't want renewal? But how does it come? What can we who seek renewal learn from our text today? that might lead to renewal in our lives and in our churches. Three things. First, and this is related to some of what we talked about in the dean's class this past Sunday, when God brings renewal, he does so by engaging with us in our deep desires and feelings. When God's spirit works renewal, it does so through harnessing our real energies, through attraction and suasion, not force, or cleverness, or strategy. If you seek lasting renewal, look to your real desires, the durable ones, the ones, the places that restore your energy instead of sucking it dry. God's Spirit works through attraction and joy and desire and love, not through heavy-handedness or ideology or force of will. It's a small point, but an important one. Second, 
If there's one magic ingredient for renewal, it is, I'm afraid, something you may be tired of hearing. It is that the path to renewal usually leads first through suffering and thwartedness and defeat. The shipwreck, to use one of my dad's favorite words, of our plans and strategies and dreams for ourselves is the place where new life begins and where freedom is birthed. The Christian church was founded on Calvary at the foot of the cross, and that is both the once-for-all-time fact and foundation of the religion and the pattern that God's Spirit continues to employ more than any other in its renewing work. It is simply written into the nature of things. For human beings, renewal comes from the ashes, and life comes from death. Remember, the renewal described in our passage is the renewal specifically of fallow ground. And the precondition for the creation in verse 30 is the death and dust of verse 29. I wish it weren't so. Do you remember that wonderful discussion about abiding in the vine in John 15? About how sometimes the vine has to be pruned first before it can bear more fruit, before it can be renewed. As my wife once pointed out about that passage from the branch's perspective, getting pruned can feel mightily similar to being cut off completely and thrown into the fire. Often we're not at all clear at the time which it is we're actually experiencing. So my second point is that if you find the place of your defeat, and it will find you, you will also have found the path that leads to renewal. The third thing to say about renewal from Psalm 104 is not an ingredient but a caveat. It gets even heavier. Let me read the middle part of our text again. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. There's an old word from philosophy for what these verses are about. That word is contingency. Contingency means that from where we sit, the future is not certain because what will happen next is dependent on factors and agents that are not us. It means that outcomes of immense importance to us are determined by forces outside of our power. In this sense, everything about our lives is contingent. It's easy to look back on your life and observe the awesome power of contingency. If you hadn't gone to that event where you met him, you might have married someone else. If that college had accepted you and you'd gone there instead, your friends and your career might be very different. If they had found the cancer sooner, she might not have died so young. What the psalmist is telling here is that the flip side of contingency is that God is in control. This is what theologians call providence. Whether we are filled with good things or have our life's breath taken away from us is not up to us. Whether we will, in fact, experience the renewal we seek is not up to us, but it is indeed up to God. This truth about contingency is a powerful truth because it can give hope and a sense of peace in even the darkest situations and circumstances. God is in control. And it is an insightful truth because it allows us to not take the world and our petty strivings in it so seriously. We are not in control. But it is also a hard and bitter truth 
Because sometimes, on this side of the river, renewal does not come. This is the caveat. Sometimes, as in the psalm, God hides his face and we are dismayed. And what was once alive dies and returns to the dust. That is within his remit. That is the divine prerogative. The spirit blows where it wills, not where we will. Sometimes renewal does not come. But sometimes it does. (laughs) Sometimes in the middle of our sin and our guilt and our little lies and our hypocrisy, our hearts are opened and the world-shattering apocalyptic fact of Jesus' death on the cross for sinners launches itself into us like some spear from the sky and we are renewed. We are born again. The old is gone. The new has come. Our chains are broken. The future is open and free and pregnant with possibility. Likewise, sometimes God's spirit really is sent forth A glorious whirlwind of creation, smashing old patterns and systems, opening up strange new possibilities and vistas, infusing dead ground with life again. When the Holy Spirit is involved, creativity and renewal come to relationships, to vocations, to churches, to friendships, to broken hearts. God's Spirit brings hope and life and the unexpected Like in that wonderful verse in Isaiah 43. Behold, I am doing a new thing. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And sometimes, too, renewal begins as something small and subtle, like a mustard seed. A little feeling of joy at meeting some need. The arrival of a new colleague at work or the retirement of an old one. The slow, subtle transformation of a desire over months and years. A small word of informed encouragement at the right time from someone you care about. A little moment one morning of extra objectivity about your own patterns and repetitions. Renewal is real. The Holy Spirit is real. What I leave you with today, then, before I pray, is a new question. Is it now the time at last to give up your pact with despair? Is it time to trust again the reality of the life-giving Spirit of God? Is it time once again to have hope, to believe once more in renewal? Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring new life. Create a way forward where we are blocked. Renew love and passion where they have faded. Harness our desires and make your kingdom lovely in our sight. Break off the repetitions and lead us down new and unexpected paths. Restore breath and skin to our dead, sinful bones. Meet us where we suffer and are unfulfilled. Inspire us as we build and work and create. Give us faith to survive contingency and dismay and the return to dust. Give us our food in due season and renew the face of the ground. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.